This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Chapter through this wonderful gospel. If you uh, are not a Christian or you are a new Christian or even a veteran Christian, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, reading the Gospel of John is absolutely refreshing. Why? Because it presents a different portrait of Jesus in every chapter, and there's 21 chapters. So today, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's read about it in John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Please speak to us and teach us as we look more deeply into this chapter, this wonderful chapter in the gospel according to John, the beloved disciple. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this message, The Resurrection of Jesus Changes Everything. And we're going to see three people's lives that were changed. We're going to see that Mary's life was changed, the disciples' lives were changed, and Thomas's life was changed. Mary went from sorrow to hope, the disciples from fear to peace, and Thomas from doubt to faith. Let's look at how the resurrection made this phenomenal transformation in these people's lives. First of all, Mary. It says in John 20, verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene had been delivered of seven demons by Jesus, and she became a follower of the Lord. And when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had asked 
Pilate, for the body of Jesus, because he had been crucified on the cross, remember that he didn't swoon. He didn't just conk out or go into a coma. He actually died. How do we know that? Because when the soldier stuck the spear in his side, out of his side came water and blood. Water and blood coming out was a symbol, get this, that our Lord's heart had burst. Jesus was dead on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did the best they could to prepare his body for burial. Now back then they would have strips of linen and they would use myrrh and aloe spices like paste inside of the linen and they would wrap Jesus' body much like a mummy. But when they wrapped the body, they would start at the feet and go all the way up to the shoulders. Then there was a special head linen that would be put around the head. Now I want you to really get this because maybe you've broken your arm. Maybe you've broken your leg in the past. And what did they put on you? A cast. And a cast is much like the kind of cocoon that the body of Jesus was placed in. However, as is typical of men, they didn't finish the job. So you have to have a woman to go finish the job. That's Mary Magdalene. She's coming to the tomb with spices to complete the embalming process of the dead body of Jesus. She arrives early on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. That's why we worship on Sunday, because we commemorate that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. That's why you're here today. We're celebrating that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead. She comes with the spices, and as she's heading to the tomb, she says in her mind, how am I going to get in there? Because there's a two-ton stone in a slotted groove that has been rolled into place, and she is certainly not strong enough to remove that. But when she gets there, she has another problem. The stone has been removed already. Now she's thinking, who stole my Lord's body? Where have they taken them? Insult to injury. I can't believe it. They kill my Lord. And then they steal his body. The, the indecency of all that. And you know, I want to talk to you and me about grief. What is grief? Grief is when we lose a loved one and we feel that sadness, that ache in our hearts. I love this definition of grief. It says, grief is that ache in our hearts that remembers that 
we were loved and that we loved. I had a precious nephew named Joel, 10 years old. We just visited him in Washington and, and the family, my brother and his family, six kids. Joel was 10. Joel was creative, he was loving, he was sweet and wonderful. And uh, when they came to Chico, we have a picture of him at the Yo-Yo Museum in front of the world's largest yo-yo. And we have a picture of him in downtown Chico between the hands, just me and him, Uncle Lou and Joel. So Joel and his brothers were being homeschooled and they had a break and he was riding his bicycle and he turned the handles too quickly and it hit him in the gut and he had severe pain. So he went over to his mom and his mom took him to the hospital. They said, oh, it's a bad bruise. And so my brother was sitting by his bedside on watch and called the doctor and said, it looks like it's getting worse. Nah, it's just a bad bruise. And Joel turned his face away from my brother and looked at the wall and died. He had a ruptured spleen. And we were just torn apart. We were so sad. Now, the newspaper tried to make it into a big controversy and tried to encourage my brother <clears throat> to sue the hospital. But Peter didn't do that. We went there, I'm the oldest of four brothers, <clears throat> Lou, Dan, Mark, Peter. <clears throat> we stood in front of all the full church, and we sang the hymn, It is well with my soul. That even though we missed Joel, even though we grieved the loss of Joel, we knew that thanks to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that Joel, who trusted in him, is in heaven, will see Joel again, and we have that comfort, we have that peace. But Mary didn't know that story yet. Right now, she has what, I, what is technically called compound grief. You know what compound grief is? You know, when you break your arm, a simple fracture is you broke your arm. A compound fracture is where the bone is sticking out of your arm. That's a compound fracture. So to have compound grief is not only that you lost your loved one, but then there's a complication around that loss. It was a car accident. It was a bike accident. Or somebody stole the body. Come on, can't you just let me grieve without making it more complicated, without me feeling hurt and insulted and angry and violated. That's how Mary felt. She wept. I was talking to the Sunday school class today and saying, I have wept before where tears have come down my cheeks, but I have known weeping that was so strong Tears were shooting out of my tear ducts. We can imagine that Mary was full of sorrow. Now notice this in John 20, verse 13. There are two men in the tomb. 
One is seated at the head of the slab where Jesus' body was. One is seated at the foot of where Jesus' body was. They're angels. How does she know they're angels? Because they are glowing bright white. It's supernatural. They're not human beings. They're angels. And they ask her with respect. They're not saying this in a derogatory way. Woman, why are you crying? The angels are confused. Jesus rose from the dead. His body has gone, his glorified body has gone through the cocoon, through the cast, and through the two-ton stone. He's risen from the dead. You should be rejoicing, and instead you're weeping. We don't get it. She sees a man standing there, and she supposes he's the gardener. So she says to him, Sir, if you've carried off the body, please show me where it is so I can take care of it. And this man says to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And when he says, Mary, her ears prick up, she turns around, hey, forget angels. I want to see Jesus. She turns to see Jesus and says, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's an Aramaic word, which is the, uh, the, word, the language they, they spoke. And she said, Rabboni, my teacher. She is so excited, so happy. She has instantaneously moved from sorrow to hope because she had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You know, you may be struggling with sorrow in your life. You're feeling grief. You're feeling self-pity. You're wondering what life is about, and you have an emptiness inside. When you trust in Jesus Christ and you look to him, he fills you with with resurrection hope, with hope that never dies, with a living hope. Jesus wants to put a living hope in your heart. The Apostle Peter puts it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you receive a new birth. That is, you become a new creation in Christ. The caterpillar that you and I used to be, that used to crawl on the ground, is transformed into a butterfly. That is the actual word, metamorphosis, that is being used here. A new birth. You become a new creation in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed, the new has come. How would you like to have a new birth? How would you like to start all over? How would you like to have your heart filled with a living hope? You trust in Jesus. You trust in Jesus who rose from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he reverses everything that mitigates against your joy. 
He turns death right around. Yes, I grieve that I lost my nephew Joel, but I rejoice. I'm going to see him again. That's a living hope, and it can't be taken away. It's ever good. It's guaranteed. Praise God. Now, we see that the disciples move from fear to peace. In John 20, verses 19 and 20, where are the disciples after Jesus has been crucified and placed in a tomb? They're in the upper room behind locked doors. Why are they behind locked doors? They're behind locked doors because they're afraid they're next. If their leader has been crucified, then what's to keep the Roman government or the high priest Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin from turning on them and saying, you're enemies, number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and you're next. So they're hiding in fear. But guess what? It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose Sunday evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. How did Jesus get in? Either he's a Houdini and he knows how to pick locks, or he has a supernatural body that allows him to go through a door or a wall. And the answer is B. Yes, he has a supernatural body. It went through the grave clothes. It went out from the tomb. And now it's nothing to go through a door of an upper room. What's that? That's a cinch. He shows up inside. How did you get here? What? You know, at one point the disciples think that he's a ghost. And he says, do you have any, any fish? And he eats the fish in front of them, proving he's not a phantom or a ghost. And here's what I really love. Why do you think he asked for a fish? Because after you eat a fish, what's left on the plate? Bones. Not only did he prove he has flesh and blood because he ate food, and they didn't see the food going down through his, trans, uh, uh, his body. But if they had any doubts, they could still look at that plate of bones and said, Jesus was here and he ate. He's a human being. He has a human body, but it's glorified. It has capacities that our human bodies don't have. And eventually he's going to ascend right up into heaven. So... We, as believers, will be resurrected and we will receive glorified bodies. We will have these capacities given to us because of faith in Christ. Christ is in the upper room. The disciples are obviously full of fear and confusion. And what's his word to them? Peace. In the Jewish faith, it's shalom. What is the word shalom? The shalom is well-being, well-being. Jesus says shalom, well-being be to you. And that is the word he brought to them three times in this chapter. We see him say it again and again. The disciples saw his hands and his side. 
Now, why would that be significant? That even though he has a glorified body, and you would think we'd all be young, and we'd all be in top condition, and we'd all be uh, handsome and beautiful, in addition to other supernatural capabilities, Jesus still has the wounds. Now, it wouldn't be here because a nail put in the hand would not hold the body. The scar would be here in the wrist because that would hold the body. It's between two bones and it's at the nerve center, which causes the most pain. That's why the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus at first, but when he reached to get the bread and to break it, his wrist slipped out from behind his robe and they saw the wound. So he shows the wounds that are in his wrist and the wound on his side and they know there's no other person who has that except Jesus. You ever see a before and after picture of someone and you say, I can't believe that person over here is this person over here and you look for something that would be characteristic. I saw one where the person had tattoos on their shoulder. And that was the only thing that, that convinced me that the after picture was the before picture was the tattoos on the shoulder because when you lose a lot of weight, your face changes and there's something different about the way you look. But the tattoos were there. So I knew it was the same person. Well, Jesus shows his wounds and the disciples are overjoyed. <laughs> They move from fear to peace and joy. Finally, Thomas. Thomas has the nickname Doubting Thomas. Why? Because Thomas said he wasn't with them the first night, Sunday night, uh, that Jesus rose. But eight days later, he was with them. But in the interim, all the disciples are saying, We saw him! He's alive! He's alive! And they kept repeating that to Thomas. And Thomas kept saying, unless I stick my finger into the wound in his hands and my hand completely into his side, I will not believe. Have you ever heard of the, the expression, the man from Missouri? On the license plate in Missouri, it's known as the show me state. Because I won't believe until you show me the proof. I'm not gullible. I'm not easily persuaded. I need evidence, hard, fast evidence. Eight days later, in the same upper room that was, still had the door locked, Jesus shows up, he says, peace again, and he goes to Thomas, and it's as if he's reading Thomas's mind. Of course, he's God. He says to Thomas, go ahead, stick your finger in here and your hand in here. You remember that that's exactly what Thomas said a week ago, a week and a day ago? And Peter, uh, Jesus, is calling him on it. And say, go ahead. You want proof? Is this what you need to believe? Go ahead. What is Thomas's response to Jesus saying, stop doubting and believe? He says, my Lord and my God. This is huge. Thomas does not need any more proof. Just seeing the wounds, he knows this is none other than Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And... He does something that's unheard of. A monotheistic Jew would never call a human being God. But in that very moment, he's convinced Jesus is who he said he was. 
He is God. He is from the Father, and he's, he returned to the Father, and, and he is equal to the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God. Then Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. And, you know, that brings us to modern day, because it says in 1 Peter 1.8, to those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, you and me, we have not seen the risen Lord, but here's a word. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So even though we have not seen Jesus physically raised from the dead ourselves, we have the witness of the disciples, we have the witness of the apostle Paul who saw Jesus. Paul wrote that 500 people saw Jesus at one time. And they were still alive at the time of his writing as if to say, go ask one of them, did you see Jesus alive? There is more proof for Jesus being alive than him, his body being stolen or him never resurrecting. There have been great minds who have set out to prove that Jesus never rose from the dead. One was a lawyer and he took all the evidence, studied it in depth, and he became a Christian, and wrote the screenplay for Ben-Hur, a proclamation of faith. So there have been many skeptics who have set out to disprove the resurrection, but Christianity stands or falls on whether Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, we're dead in our sins. If he didn't rise from the dead, there's no resurrection. If he didn't raise from the dead, then preaching is in vain. But because he did rise from the dead, there's comfort. We're going to see our loved ones. Because he rose from the dead, we know our sins are forgiven. Because he rose from the dead, we've got heaven to look forward to and joy and peace and forgiveness in this lifetime. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, for being our living Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. We trust in you. That's the response that we are to have. Would you like to move from sorrow to hope? Would you like to move from fear to peace? Would you like to move from doubt to faith? Look to Jesus. Each one of these saw Jesus. They encountered Jesus. They trusted in Jesus. And when they trusted in Jesus, their lives were radically changed. I'm going to invite you to just pray with me right now. Wait a second. I do have a punchline. Sorry about that. Here's the punchline that you've never heard. I haven't, I didn't know this until this morning. Tradition and documentation of facts reveal that Thomas was used mightily by the Lord. Doubting Thomas, formerly Doubting Thomas, was used mightily by the Lord in establishing churches in Persia, Iran today, and did his greatest work in India in establishing the Church of the East. The Church of the East is also referred to as the Assyrian Church, Nestorian Church, Chaldean Syrian Church. Thomas died a martyr's death in India. He was buried in Mylapore, India, and his influence in that part of the world has been documented 
in many books. Isn't that a great P.S. of a life that's been changed? By the way, if the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus, there's two problems with that. Number one, the soldiers who were supposed to guard the tomb were told, tell people the disciples came and stole the body while you were asleep. Soldiers, the Green Berets of their day, would be executed if they lost what they were supposed to watch. Problem number one. Number two is that if the body of Jesus was stolen, all they had to be is present the body. And Jesus rose from the dead. He is the risen Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you with overwhelming evidence that you are God, that you rose from the dead, that you are Savior and Lord. You're the resurrection and the life. All who believe in you have eternal life. And right now, Lord, even with the faith of a mustard seed, we look up to you and we say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash my sins away by your blood. Give me your righteousness. Put me right in the sight of God. Give me a peace with God that I've been searching for. Fill my heart with your love, with your hope, with your peace. Thank you for the transformation you've made in other people's lives. Transform me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.